Today on Ag News Daily. Right now, we've seen a pullback from highs because, again, that dollar has gotten stronger, so we worry about our export demand. But also, we're worried about harvest pressure. Um, and that, I think, is, is maybe a fear that the market is sort of overreacting to. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy hashtag Market Monday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joined by Ashton Carr. Ashton, it is definitely officially fall here in central Iowa. What about down there in Texas? Do you guys get much of a fall weather pattern? We don't really get much of a fall. It cools down for just a little bit. And then here in Lubbock, it gets real chilly real fast. But I will say it is pretty cool today. Yesterday, I think a little bit of colder weather blew in because it was quite windy on the roads. I was driving back from Dallas and I was just getting blown all over the road. And then when I got into West Texas, it was super dusty and um, it got pretty chilly last night and pretty chilly this morning. So we are cooling down just a little bit, but I still believe that we will be in the low 80s this week. Oh, geez, that's not even cold. Yeah, today I think the high I looked last night and the high I think for today was 75. I don't know if that changed or not, but, you know, I was wearing some shorts and a hoodie today. So really not very cold at all, but still making me a little bit cold. Definitely nothing compared to what you experience. (laughs) No, no, definitely not. But uh, we had some rain sweep across uh, central Iowa and parts of Iowa yesterday. So I've seen some folks delayed on their harvest. But of course, we will see those numbers where the trade is putting us or where the USDA is pegging us as far as final harvest numbers go later this afternoon. So we'll talk about those a little bit more tomorrow. But in other news, Ashton, we saw today that Bayer has announced that their Extend Flex soybeans are now ready for a full commercial launch in the United States and Canada starting in the 2021 growing season. They were waiting a very long time for import approval from the EU, which finally came through today. And this soybean is a newer one to hit the market because it will have a variety of different tolerances for over-the-top applications on of three different herbicides, glyphosate, dicamba, and glufosinate, uh, also known as their Liberty product. So it's been touted for quite a while now from Bayer as being kind of the next generation for their weed control line. Another tool in the toolbox, as you, if you will, for producers and uh, brings, you know, just a few different in-season mode of actions for soybean growers, you know, different resistance for weeds and whatnot. So definitely exciting for folks that use that product. And I'm sure we will see other companies following suit with their similar seed traits moving forward. But I believe this might be the first soybean variety that has over-the-top applications for all three of those herbicides. I also saw that today, Delaney, and I thought it was pretty exciting that we finally saw that approval come through. But I also have some news in terms of approval, but it is dealing with a disinfectant that was approved by the EPA and the maker of a commonly used disinfectant was approved for their product controlling the African swine fever virus. Virox Animal Health says their intervention brand farm disinfectant concentrate is effective against the virus when 
mixed in a 24 to one solution and applied for 10 minutes. The ASF virus, of course, has struck the pork industry, but it has not yet been reported in the United States. And in a statement, Jose Ramirez with Virox says the intervention product is non-toxic, non-irritating, and readily biodegradable, unlike some other products that are difficult to handle and suffer from a less than ideal occupational safety and environmental profiles. So I thought this was very interesting because I hadn't even thought about a disinfectant for African swine fever. I know back home when we are in the farrowing house we do a little step-in solution to clean off like the bottom of our shoes but definitely not anything this serious so I think this is really great and I'm excited to see if producers actually start using this disinfectant and if you know anyone comes out and says something about how they are trying to mitigate the spread of just diseases in general. So definitely was very excited to hear about this news. Yeah. So explain to me a little bit more. Does it, you just spray it and it's supposed to just prevent all diseases or is there something specific that makes it for African swine fever? From what I've gathered, and this isn't completely factual, you know, this is just kind of what I've put together in my head is that you, you do spray it. And I think it is just a disinfectant for a variety of diseases because from, from what it sounds like, Virox has been using this intervention brand farm disinfectant concentrate for quite some time now. And I, I suppose that they are just now finding out that it does protect against African swine fever. But I will look more into this and maybe we can discuss this in tomorrow's episode and I can have an actual factual answer for you, Delaney. Okay, or we could have someone on. I mean, that sounds like a cool Tech Tuesday interview or, or just something to have on for the podcast because I know we've got a lot of swine producers that listen. So cool. Find Ashton. Let's uh, let's follow up on that one for sure. But I wanted to follow up also on some trade news that we are watching because we are continuing to watch the U.S. and U.K. negotiators wrap up an additional round or the fourth round, really, of trade talks. And that was as of the end of last week into the weekend. They finished up another series and they're expecting to start a fifth round of talks in mid to late October as hopes remain high that we will see a trade deal here very, very soon. U.S. grain farmers are counting on lower tariffs. We're also expecting pork and beef exports to pick up quite a bit once a free trade agreement gets put into place. And so we'll continue watching that story. But uh, AgriPulse is actually hosting an Ag Outlook Forum this week in Kansas City. I believe a lot of it's been going on virtually, but they did have administrator or they did have, excuse me, undersecretary Greg Dowd at the meeting. And he took time at the meeting to say, you know, I, I want to make it clear to everybody that they understand we're trading we're working on a free trade agreement here with the UK, not the EU. So that makes things a little bit different. And he said, you know, the UK for a long time carried the same values and beliefs that the EU held when it came to different products, uh, different chemicals, medicine, medicine applications for livestock, etc. But he said, you know, I think that we have seen the UK's mindset change on this uh, quite a bit and fundamentally believe that there's a reason 
They want to extract themselves out of the EU. They want to move away from that protectionist precautionary mindset and use more technology in agriculture. So we said that that sounds very favorable. It sounds very bullish for getting a trade agreement put together with the UK. So he said he's still optimistic that a trade agreement will be able to address some of those longstanding barriers, trade barriers that we've had with them, but didn't really give an indication on a timeline for when we could see that final trade agreement put into effect. Well, Delaney, I am kind of low on news today, but I just have one more thing. And it's just coming from the Missouri Cattlemen's Association. We have, this is the first that I've heard of producers coming out and, and sharing their opinion on the second round of the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program. And the executive vice president, Mike Deering, of the Missouri Cattlemen's Association says the USDA has learned a thing or two from last time. And he said that the USDA, or not the USDA, but the Missouri Cattlemen's Association was critical of the first CFAT payments because of the confusion among county farm service agency offices and the way payment amounts were decided on. And Deering said the application process and specifics outlining what qualifies for payments have been much clearer this time. And he added that while no disaster relief payment can fully make up for losses suffered by cattle producers, the payments do, of course, provide support. And I have a quote here that says, this is not a cure-all. It's not going to make people whole, but maybe they can make a farm payment. Maybe they can make a feed payment. Maybe they can continue on and not have to face the difficult decision of staying in or getting out. But Deering said producers don't want to become accustomed to receiving relief payments. So this, again, was the first that I really heard of somebody from the industry talking about the second round of CFAP, which, of course, just opened up last week on the 21st. And I definitely thought it was interesting. It sounds like people are going to be a little bit more, maybe not accepting, but, you know, more, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but they are going to like CFAP 2 more than, you know, CFAP 1. And we're becoming kind of accustomed to getting those payments to producers. And so, of course, you know, he pointed out that producers aren't going to want to become accustomed to receiving relief payments, you know, so often. But hopefully, you know, we're looking at the light at the end of the tunnel. And once COVID-19 is over, we won't have to worry so much about the support for farmers. Yeah, I I really hope we are at the end of our tunnel here, light at the end of the tunnel, as you said there, Ashton. Uh, before we were talking to Ted about markets today, who is, of course, going to be chatting markets with us here in just a minute, he was sharing that, you know, Chicago is finally starting to see some things open up. We're seeing restaurants get back to about 40% capacity. Um, I think that's a lot of different states are, are following suit or have been in the process of reopening. So hopefully we're getting through this. And it's looking like a lot of this stuff was very political. And maybe I think come November 5th, we might be magically reopened as a nation. I don't know. That's a pretty sinister view of me to say. But, uh, you know, I think, excuse me, November 4th, not November 5th, but maybe November 5th. You never know. But I think post-election, we'll see a lot more things reopen, hopefully get through this story, and um, the media will have something new to focus on. Absolutely, Delaney. I've heard so many people talking about what life is going to look like after the election. And I don't know if it's just because I'm old enough to realize what's going on in politics and government and, and really just in the world. 
But I, I feel like this election is unlike any other one that I have have really seen. Yeah, I think a lot of people would agree with you there, Ashton. But I don't want to talk about politics. It's not my favorite thing to talk about. <laughs> but you know what is one of my favorite things to talk about? The markets. Shall we see where today's markets closed? Let's do it. Let's do it indeed. And as I mentioned, we are chatting here in just a moment with Ted Seifert of the Zaner Group to talk markets. But in the meantime, let's take a look at where things ended for the day. Starting off here in the corn contract, the December added a penny and a half to close at 3.66 and a three quarters, while the March added two and two quarters cent to close at 3.75 and a half. In the soybean pits, the November contract shed six and a quarter cent to close at 9.96 and a quarter. The January down six to close just above $10 at $10 and a penny. $10 and a quarter of a penny, excuse me. In the wheat pits, the December contract up six cents on the day to close at 5.50 and a quarter, while the March up five and a half cents to close at 5.57 even. In the livestock pits, the October contract adding 37 and a half cents today to close at 107.95, the December up 25 cents to close at 111.65. In the feeder cattle pits, the green continues as the October contract added 60 cents today to close at 140.92 and a half. The November up 95 cents to close at 141.10. In the lean hog pits, the October contract adding 95 cents today to close at 72.70, while the December trading lower on the day down 40 cents to end at 64.02 and a half. And in the dairy class three milk futures, the October contract shedding two pennies today to close at eighteen eighty six. The November down seventeen to close at eighteen thirty six. Without further ado, let's turn it over to our conversation with Ted Seifert of the Zener Group. Well, as promised, we are chatting with Ted Seifert of the Zaner Group today to chat markets. Ted, I know when we had you on maybe about a month or so ago, you were somewhat friendly uh, towards corn and soybeans. Has your opinion on those two commodities changed since then? Um, no. Uh, no. I, although I hesitate to say friendly on corn. I'm just not bearish on corn. Um, you know the situation in soybeans with the rate of sales that we have going to China and other countries is that, you know, at some point the trade has to respect the possibility that we could potentially run out. Uh, and what if there was a South American weather problem? There's, you know, a lot of talk of La Nina. Uh, so we are flirting with the idea of price rationing soybeans. And that's what we've really seen here in the past month and a half. We're wondering if there's a price level that would slow the Chinese buying down. And so far we haven't really found that. Now, we have seen some strength in the dollar recently, so the concern is that maybe we will start to ration some of this, or at least the stronger U.S. dollar will help ration some of that export demand. But so far, I'm not sure we've seen that. Uh, and you wonder if the USDA current yield estimate might be coming down a little bit, which would further tighten our supply situation, uh, because what we're hearing from harvest results isn't exactly all that great. So. I, for a number of reasons, I still think there's there's uh, more room for soybeans to come and make new highs if, again, we continue to hear somewhat disappointing yield uh, results and if we continue to see the, the sales to China on virtually a daily basis. For corn, though, uh, we've never really had a situation where we have a, a tight enough balance sheet or a projection or possibility of a tight enough balance sheet to really need to price ration corn. That being said, 
you know, strength in soybeans uh, can drag corn along with it. And, and the corn story is not nearly as bearish as it was. It's just not a situation where we have a need for price rationing. So, yeah, I'm, I'm friendly on both corn and beans, but I think soybeans will continue to be the leader to the upside. Uh, and I've been really rather bullish soybeans since like January. Yeah, I, I feel like maybe you've been you know, kind of out there by yourself being bullish for that long, but but maybe not. But I want to go back to something you said there. You said once the trade is able to recognize or see, you know, continued maybe harvest numbers not as great as they were expecting and also increased or continued Chinese demand. But Ted, at what point do we recognize those two factors and see soybeans continue maybe in an upward motion? You know, that's a good question. You know, right now we've seen a pullback from highs because Again, that dollar has gotten stronger, so we worry about our exports, man. But also, we're worried about harvest pressure. Um, and that, I think, is is maybe a fear that the market is sort of overreacting to, and we're getting in front of this quote-unquote harvest pressure. But if, if you look at where the American producer was on a commitment, commitment of traders report, they were shorter than they ever have been at this time of year going into harvest. So a lot of those beans and a lot of the corn coming to town, that's already previously been sold. It won't necessarily translate into pressure on the board. And also say that we sold a lot of old crop uh, leading up to this rally. In the last five to seven weeks, we, we sold a lot of old crop corn and soybeans. So I don't know if we're going to see as much harvest pressure this year as what we've seen in previous years. Um, so again, yeah, when does the trade realize that? For exports, it's an interesting question because, you know, the trade seemed like it was starting to realize that uh, about a week ago, uh, but then we saw some strength in the U.S. dollar, and then you had your pessimists come back out again, saying that, you know, a lot of these sales to China may end up getting canceled, Brazil has a good crop, and so on and so forth. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think that China is going to try to take delivery on all the soybeans that they possibly can. I mean, think about where they priced a lot of these soybeans, maybe a dollar cheaper than where we are currently. So, uh, maybe it takes the shipments to actually go out. Uh, maybe we have to get towards the end of the marketing year. I don't think it should take that long, but the market has been reluctant to rally on the sales. In my opinion, the market should really take into consideration that if there is a problem in South America, we could very quickly run out of soybeans and we should start to price ration some of that demand right now. Ted, you mentioned reports, and I'm glad you did, because I wanted to make sure we asked you about Wednesday's reports that are going to be coming out. What are you expecting to see as a Zaner Group estimate, and what is the trade expecting to see? Yeah, our estimates are actually pretty close to the trade uh, estimates. Uh, I, I, yeah, I never know what the result of the trade is going to say before coming into this thing, but it, it really does uh, kind of show that we're looking for a lot of parity, meaning a lot of the analysts are, are pretty closely packed on what we think the USDA is going to say here. So, you know, for the most part, um, we're looking for numbers that are pretty close to the current USDA's carryover projections. Keep in mind, this fourth quarter quarterly grain stocks report represents the carryover from last year into this current marketing year that we're in now, starting September 1st. Uh, and so the trade's looking for uh, corn ending stocks at 2.250 billion bushels, soybean ending stocks at 576 million bushels, and wheat stocks at 2.242 billion bushels. That's not an ending stock number for wheat, by the way, but for the row crops it is. And yeah, I mean, it's not far off of where the USDA left us on their uh, September WASDE report. So that wouldn't be a big surprise. Now, if there is going to be a big surprise on this report, it would likely come from a uh, revision of production numbers for either corn or soybeans or both 
from last year. This is a report that they can do this on, and they have made some small tweaks in the past. Um, some of us think that maybe this corn crop wasn't quite as big as what the USDA was saying from last year. So that could be a surprise. It could also bring in less corn stocks than what we were expecting. If we see a revision lower in production, that would really be a surprise. Um, similar thing for soybeans. You know, Although I'm personally of the opinion that the soybean crop last year was a little bit bigger than what the USDA has to say, and therefore can account for some of this extra demand that we've got laying around. But uh, yeah, either way, it, it, this report has the potential to come out pretty close to expectations. It could be a non-event. We can go back to trading the harvest and trading the sales that we're having on a mostly daily basis. But there are some possibilities for some surprises there. And likely if we get that, it'll come out of production. Ted, I want to take things over here and chat wheat for just a moment. Uh, weather reports are coming out that Russia is dry. Is this, in your opinion, contributing to the moves we've seen recently? Let's talk, you know, Chicago and Kansas City wheat here. And with that being said, you know, how much strength really will that add when we look at wheat? I know you mention it all the time. Somebody is always producing or harvesting wheat, it seems like, worldwide. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, so, yes, wheat has gotten some support out of the things going on in the Black Sea area. For one, yes, there's some dryness issues that we're a little bit concerned about. And also, for two, they've talked about limiting some of their exports early in uh, next calendar year. So both of those things could be more business for us. However, in the last 10 days or so, we've kind of thrown a little bit of a wet blanket on wheat, and that is coming in the form of strength in the U.S. dollar. As that dollar gains strength, like you said, it is a global wheat for market or is a global market for wheat. There's somebody producing and selling wheat pretty much everywhere in the world. And as the dollar gets stronger, we have a lot more competition. So that is wheat is the one that is the most sensitive to the strength that we've seen in the U.S. dollar recently. So a little bit of an uphill battle for wheat going forward. It can get helped by the row crops. If corn and soybeans can find their mojo once again, that could spill over to the wheat. But I don't know. You know, I'd like to see a reversal lower in the U.S. dollar once again. Uh, I think there is a good chance that that happens. But when it happens is the big question. Is that going to have to wait till after the November elections before we see any agreement on a stimulus package in order to put pressure on that dollar again? So that's a it's a really good question, Delaney. I'm not exactly sure uh, what happens with that dollar between now and, say, November. Yeah. And Ted, do you think that the outcome of the election, whether or not we see President Trump reelected versus Biden, will that have a strong impact in the trend of the dollar? Yeah, it it likely will. Uh, Without going too far into it, it really depends on who wins. Um, You know, uh, (laughs) under Trump, the idea is that we're going to continue to see a growing economy. And there's a, a lot of people that are concerned about if Biden were to win what that would mean for the U.S. economy. If the U.S. economy is perceived as as being good, that dollar will continue to be under pressure. If we are worried about a major, major correction and a a dramatically slowing economy, that dollar will gain strength again. So, yes, the the election has an impact on so very many things. Trade, the U.S. dollar, strength and weakness, um, domestic policy, so many things uh, going on for this election. There will be a lot of wide-sweeping implications for what that means for commodity markets as well. Yeah, and Ted, you're just lucky you don't have to live in the state of Iowa and hear the political ads literally every day. (laughs) I'm quite tired of them. But uh, taking a look over here at 
at the feeder cattle and livestock markets or live cattle markets, excuse me. They had a pretty good day today trading positive, but you know, it seems like they'll have a day here and there. They trade higher, they trade lower. They really seem like they're stuck in a range here. What's it going to take for us to see some real movement? Yeah, good question. You know, uh, go back to last week, we were up Thursday, down Friday, and then we're up here today. Um, I was saying that we really need to see some good news in the live cattle market sometime in the relatively near future. Otherwise, I'm worried that we're going to roll over to the downside. We've seen cash kind of stabilize in the last couple of weeks, which was a little bit surprising for me. I'm kind of expecting that cash to weaken and unless, again, there's some sort of news story that we're not seeing right now. So I'm a little bit worried that we're due for a deeper correction in, in the cattle market. I think it's a good idea for producers to be looking at protection to the downside, either making some sales or looking maybe own some puts on the board, something like that. Um, just because seasonally, this is a time where we could be under pressure. Now, domestic demand in the United States, I think, is very good and will continue to stay very good. So longer term, I can see us resuming the uptre- uptrend and possibly seeing new highs. I just think this is the right time frame for a bit of a correction. And Ted, what are your thoughts when we turn to the lean hog market? Uh, you know, hogs had a pretty good day here on a Monday. Uh, we had a really rather good day last Friday, reversal higher day, off of some very key support. I think that hard chart looks like it's going higher, you know, and, and again, we put a little bit of pressure on it early Monday, but really didn't hold on to it. Came back near unchanged. So we had the October actually trading higher on the day. Um, so yeah, that looks pretty good to me. I think, I think August go back and test highs. And I've been saying for months now that I think that December contract, when it goes off the board is going to be very close to the 72 to 74 area rather than the 62 to 64, where it is now actually very close to where the October is now finally getting up to right around that 72 area. So I see more strength coming in the hogs. I I look at those deferred months and say they are still rather undervalued. I still think there's a continued support there. Fantastic. Well, Ted, before I let you go, I'm sure most of our listeners are probably already following along with you on social media, but in case they're not, how can they do that? Yeah, absolutely. My, My Twitter is at the Ted spread. Um, I like to talk about hot dogs and you know, things like that. Uh, sometimes some agricultural stuff as well. And, uh, and also you can find us on the web at www.zaner, that's Z-A-N-E-R.com. Fantastic. Well, Ted Seifert of the Zaner Group, thanks so much for chatting markets with us today. All right. Well, again, a big thank you there to Ted for joining us to chat markets today. It's always great to have him on and chatting the markets. But if you are not following him, he chats the markets and hot dogs, as he mentioned, quite a bit on Twitter. Be sure to follow him at the Ted spread. But you can also follow along with us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. We're always posting or Ashton, I should say, is always posting great things. You can find us at Ag News Daily. Ashton, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.